My name's John. I'm one of the youth leaders here, along with Josh and Alina playing piano. Sadie, are you here in this room? Down, what? Right here. There you are up here. And BJ, do I see BJ here? Not here. Okay. Well, we have an awesome, like there's like five leaders there. It's just, it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, my name's John. Been uh, doing that for, I don't know, maybe like a year now, somewhere around there. It's been fun hanging out with these guys up here. So pray for us, man. We need your prayer, right? We're going to be going off to Alaska pretty soon here and on a little mission trip in June. And we would love your prayers. So be mindful of that, please. So with this passage today, it's Turn in your Bibles to Romans 16. Um, You probably maybe read ahead, or if you're familiar with the book of Romans at all, you know that you're in for a doozy today because it's a list of names, right? And what can you do with a list of names? And so maybe the leadership staff, they were just like, hey, we're going to give it to the youth pastor and just watch him sweat bullets over this one. I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's, Let's have fun with this one. I remember back in my seminary days having to translate this book And uh, it it was a joy to finally get to Romans chapter 16. Why? Because it was easy to translate. I mean, it was just like transliteration. This is basically how you say the name in English and so on and so forth. So I was like really happy to get to the book of Romans chapter 16 specifically. But now, like when they were asked me, hey, do you want to preach on Romans 16? I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) I'm like, well, yes, I want to preach, but like Romans 16, like really? Okay, but here we are, Romans 16. And I've been challenged this week in my own heart. You know why? Because this is the word of God. And it's like, here's my attitude. I'm like, oh, man, I have to preach on a list of names. I'd probably be more excited if my name was on there because that's, you know, that's just who we are as humans. But we have a list of names, real Christ followers in the first century, and we get to consider them um, this morning. Uh, I, so I think it's important to have the right attitude, the right approach to uh, a set of names here. Um, and, and to get started here, if, if last week's message, and here's the connection uh, to what Pastor Tim was talking about, if last week's message is the Apostle Paul, this is a man on mission, I think something appropriate would be for this week, missioned people on mission. And so Paul's basically ending his letter by bringing to our attention a group of people who have both been impacted and influenced and shaped and transformed by the gospel to be on mission. He's reminding them, hey, guess what? This is what Romans chapters 1 through 15 does to you. Does that make sense? Because we've, we've spent a long time in Romans. And this is what all of that theology, this is the purpose of that theology, people. Okay, so that's, that's one of the big ideas here. Um, but man, there's a list of names, right? And so, what do we, what do, we do with that? There's, there's so much here that we really don't know about. Paul mentions a lot of names that you don't see elsewhere in the scripture. He definitely mentions name, names that you see elsewhere in scripture. So we'll probably focus on those a little bit more, which is going to be helpful. Um, but again, like if you were a new parent, let's say, and you're, you're expecting soon or right around the corner, this might be a good place to turn to find some new names. You know, because John is outdated, trust me. Um, Matthew and Luke and Mark, those are 
boring Bible names now, right? They've been used way too much. Um, we need some, like, epinatuses. We need some philologuses. We need some of these that we find. I mean, could you imagine that? Like, your kids are fighting, philologus, do I have to tell you to stop that again? Or, like, Tryphena, how many times do I have to tell Tryphosa to, to love each other? Um, I, I couldn't imagine doing that. But that's part of the fun of seeing some of these names, because you just get to try to read them, and no one can read them the, the right way, okay? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Like, I'll try my best up here, but we'll see what happens, okay? Um, but that's part of the joy of reading through Scripture as well. You're learning a new language. And yes, maybe technically, but you're also learning just a new language of God. Um, and so as we're going through as a family, the Old Testament right now. So Levi, he's done with the Action Bible. And he's read through that a couple of times, he said, proudly. And so I'm like, okay, so you're done with that. So I'm going to give you the NIV, and we're, gonna, we're just going to go through the Bible. Could you imagine like a little 10-year-old reading the book of Leviticus? And so he gets to some words. He's like, Dad, what's a cubits? And I'm like, oh, can you spell that for me? He's like, C-U-B-I-T-S. Maybe some of you are like, oh, okay, that's a cubits, okay? And then he gets to another passage, another section in the scripture, and he's like, what's an akaka? And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. Like, this all happened in, like, the last two weeks. And I'm like, spell it, A-C-A-C-I-A. And I'm like, oh, that's acacia. So now we're making fun of him. We're kind of throwing him under the bus, and there he is up there just smiling at me, about ready to pour hot coffee on me. He's like, how, how many cubits is in a akaka? And so it's like, that was actually Haley roasting him, but she blames that on spending too much time with me. Um, um, so I, I think it's important to do our best. Levi is doing his best to try to read through this. I think we should do our best to try to read through this as well. So Levi, you're not alone. We all struggle with reading this text here. Um, but really, think about how important a list of names truly is. I would imagine if my name appeared in Romans chapter 16, I'd probably be telling people about that. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like Paul mentioned me. He, he called me his beloved. He called me a fellow worker. He, called, he said this about me, and I'd probably go tell someone about that this week. Um, and maybe that's what they did too. They're like, oh my gosh, like Prisca and Asilla, like, hey, they mentioned me. And, and Paul over down here said, hey, mention Apennatus. And so maybe they valued this section um, more so than we might could imagine. Um, but I think that's important to recognize. Also, um, uh, by way of challenging you guys, your name is written in a special book. And maybe you can share that with someone this week. Your name written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. God has promised that he has placed you in heaven, secured a place for you. Your name is written there. Get excited about that. As excited as maybe some of these people who had that mention at the Church of Rome. Challenge for you guys this week. Tell someone about that. Go tell someone, hey, my name's written in a book in heaven. I mean, one, they'll just look at you like, what are you talking about? Two, it might open up a door for conversation. Three, you never know what can happen. You just never know. Like, start a conversation with someone. Get out there and do that. So there's a lot of things that, that, that's interesting here with the names, and we're going to get into those soon enough. But I think the most important thing, also to pick up on what Tim was talking about last week, is to recognize that the names here given, this is the work of God. Although Paul walked 14,000 miles, this is God's work. This is what Christ has accomplished in all of these lives. Yeah, Paul, like I said, Paul did the footwork. Could you imagine walking? You know, I get grumpy when I have to drive 20 minutes to work or something like that. Um, Paul was on mission on foot to go tell people the gospel. All right? So I want you to take that challenge serious this week. 
Go tell someone the gospel. Go tell someone that your name is written in this book and that you want their names written there as well. Be on mission this week, just as Paul um, was for us. But ultimately, what, what Tim said is that this is, the, this is the work of God. And who knows? You know, the scope and strategy of that. You've got to be prayerful. God, who should I talk to this week? You know, maybe you have some downtime at work. Maybe there's a lunch uh, hour that you can invite someone to and say, hey, I want to just hang out with you. And maybe it might, you, you don't want to start with, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You might want to just have some conversations with them to get the ball rolling, get to know them, ask them about their family, whatever it might look like. But be on mission to communicate who God is. Because God has a strategy and scope, not just for Paul back in the day, but for you this week. And I think that uh, encourages me, and I hope that encourages you as well. Um, we're going to look at this community in just a second here, but I want to highlight, you know, we are all about communities also in our day and age for various different reasons. And I think one of those, one of my favorite communities in, in this day and age is the Avengers. Uh, that movie comes out in, I think, 18 days, so be there the 25th with me. You can go on Thursday. It's going to be fantastic. Um, finally, the conclusion, Thanos, all that. But imagine, like, here's a community of people. You have, like, a soldier. You have a billionaire. You have a god. You have a crazy monster slash hybrid scientist. You have a king. And they're all trying to, like, work together to dismantle this evil that's trying to destroy the entire universe. Talk about, that's a cool community. I like that. If that's not Christian enough for you, sorry for that bad example, maybe Lord of the Rings is a bit better for you up your alley. Okay, so got off track there a little bit. Sorry, forgive me. But Lord of the Rings, I mean, think about this. Dwarves and elves and humans and hobbits and wizards. They don't like each other. We know that. I mean, the elf can't stand the smell of the dwarf and the hobbits, come on, they're just so selfish about their own concerns and all that. They don't like each other. But why are they banding together in community? Again, they have a common goal. Or maybe a bit more close to home, like we all have like this smaller community called the family. And how hard is it to sometimes just have dinner together? Or how hard is it to get, all get in the car at the same time and drive somewhere? Ezra and Levi know what I'm talking about up there. Um, and just like, can you guys just like love each other? Like, what, what's so hard about that? Uh, and, and so hard sometimes to just bring that community together. But that's what we strive to do. And there's really no difference here in this church. Like, that's what we strive to do, do with each other. And sometimes we get off task there a little bit. Um, but I think the family is there to remind us, okay, this is a family thing, this is community, let's be on mission together as a family as well. Maybe something a bit more serious. I remember being down in Pearl Harbor and looking at the memorial sites, a list of names, people that have sacrificed their lives for a country. Think about those names and the impact. And so they wanted to inscribe those names on a stone so that people moving forward could remember the cost Okay, that's, that's really important. Or maybe taking a stroll down not too far from home here in Portland. And I don't know if you saw the road, the, the cherry blossoms, beautiful trees, memorializing what happened during that time, even in our own history, uh, with the Japanese Americans and all of that, man. And memorializing certain names and people and events. That's important for us to remember. Okay, all of this is built up to say this chapter, it's really important for us to remember. Jesus is no different. Jesus is one who was wonderful at building community. As hard as it could have been to say, okay, you're a zealot, you're a tax collector, you're a thief, you're a thunderous Jew, and I'm going to turn the world upside down through you. Think about that. 
the zealot, someone that grew accustomed to just putting a sword under their cloak and running into crowds and just sticking people and leaving, thinking that's how God was going to take over the kingdom, bring his kingdom. Or the tax collector who was ripping off his people, taking more, and he was a Jew. How unfair is that? Or the thief, Judas, who would take money from the purse of the disciples. Or maybe the thunderous disciples as well, wanting to call fire down from heaven to destroy people. Jesus is like, I'm going to use you guys. Now, who in their right mind, besides God, would come and think that that's how the problem's going to be solved with community? Because he knows that in order for us to be a, a group, a community, and to do something in our world, man, we, we don't want a homogenous unit, um, just a bunch of people who are the same. There has to be differences. And so one of the big ideas here then, which we were working on this week, I was talking to Scott about this, and this seems to be one of the big ideas. God building a church into a diverse faith-filled community that loves one another and serves one another like a family. That's a big idea. And this is what hopefully we are on mission together doing. Um, even seeing sometimes people who are disconnected from God and wanting to see them connected and having a thriving faith with Christ. So what I want you guys to do throughout this um, uh, list of names, uh, to make it interactive, even if you're one that doesn't usually take note, um, I, I want you guys to be engaged in this way. I want you to write down names of people in your life that might be similar to the names that Paul brings up. Okay? I'll just give a quick example because I'm going to go over it again in a second. He brings up Phoebe. Phoebe is one who had a lot of money, blessed Paul and blessed others financially in ministry. Okay? So who in your mind could be someone like that? And write that name down. I think that's really important to make those points of connection. One, to realize, hey, the gospel still has an impact in our life today. It still is impacting our world in the exact same way. And we are the beneficiaries of that. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump into the passage here. If I can get this clicker to work here. Cool. Um, first verse here. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria. The first thing I want to uh, take note of here is this commendation. So Paul is saying, um, watch out for her, who this person is, and I, and I commend her to you. And that idea of commendation just means realize she's a friend. Now notice where she's from, Sincrea. She's from this place far away, maybe over next to Corinth here, little port town, and she is the one who's going to be delivering this letter all the way to the church at Rome. And notice the language there as well. She's your sister. People didn't talk about themselves this way. If you weren't part of the family back in Rome, they would never call you a sister. But Paul uses this really close language, intimate language, to describe a believer over here next to Corinth coming all the way over here to Rome, and she is your sister. She's our sister. Talks about a family. And I think, man, that, that's important for us to recognize in terms of family. Um, we, we need to retain that in our church. We need, we need to live into that. And that's a, that's a diverse role. I mean, someone from uh, Corinth coming over to Rome, delivering one of the most important letters, 
Paul trusted Phoebe. Phoebe was a servant in the church. Now, that word servant, just uh, so you know that some of the background and the words and the language here, it means deacon. And maybe you've heard that word before, and some churches use that. We use like the, the word ministry leader. So there's all sorts of ministry leaders here. There's ministry leaders working downstairs, downstairs in the kids' church. There's ministry leaders working upstairs in the youth group room. There's ministry leaders in the junior high group. There's ministry leaders everywhere in the life groups as well. Um, there are ministry leaders, and these are just people who have devoted their lives to, uh, to ministry in that sense. And Phoebe is one of those. She is a servant of the church. Very special way of actually starting this entire list. Starting with a woman, and the importance of a woman, and elevating the woman in this kind of a community. And, and by the way, that's one thing that attracted so many people to the early church. Because of their care and attention and love for women, but then also elevating women above and saying, you have a place to serve here. That is so important, especially in our day and age. I think the church um, can do better, but I, I do think we are doing a really good job here. Another thing to take note of is this idea of church. I, I like um, that this word is also used in the first century and a little bit before to describe a pack of wild animals. And I, I just think that kind of connection is funny. It's like maybe sometimes at church we behave like a pack of wild animals sometimes. And, um, but on, on a more serious note, this word church was used actually to describe the congregation of Israel. All right, so back in the Old Testament, think Old Testament time for a second, and they translated the Old Testament into the Greek, right? So it's called the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, they would use the word enklesia to describe the Jewish congregation in the Old Testament. Now, this is a really interesting point um, and probably blessed both communities there because as we've seen throughout the book of Romans, there are two groups trying to learn how to do church together. There's the Jews and then there's the Gentiles. And so now here Paul is saying, this is the church. Yeah, you've been grafted in. The Gentiles have been grafted in. Jews and Gentiles alike. And they're together now. So even this word, this statement, this phrase, this, this shows us Paul's heart toward um, the believers there at Rome. We've already mentioned something about Phoebe there. Now this is who she is specifically, that you may welcome her and the Lord in a way uh, worthy uh, of the saints and help her in whatever she may uh, need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So here's a nice, healthy description of who Phoebe is. We finally get, okay, here's a nice description of at least one person. And so this person who's delivering the most important letter in church history for our theology uh, over here to Rome he says, you know, she has some needs, and, and we don't really know what those needs are. Some people guess, um, based on the word that's used here, maybe she had some legal matters that she had to deal with. No one really knows. Um, but what I think is important to point out is this idea of welcoming her. Welcome this person that you really don't know that much about. And that's a challenge for us. Do, do we do a good job of welcoming people that we might be unfamiliar with? All right, and I was uh, chatting with someone in the previous service. You know, it says greet here 17 times. Try to greet someone 17 times after church today. Uh, it helps us get outside of ourselves. It helps us get outside of our bubbles, right? Because I, I need to hear that. I'm one that kind of is kind of isolated. I isolate myself sometimes. Um, I'm an introvert, and so it's hard for me to go beyond and, and get out there and say uh, more than just hi. Um, but that idea of welcome is take care of her. Love her. Support her. 
because she's a patron. And that word patron means that she takes her money and uses it for the good of the church and benefits people inside the church. For whatever reason, she was very successful and influential in the church and trustworthy, and Paul uh, was able to use her uh, for the work of the Lord. And uh, this idea of, in a way, worthy of the saints, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, oh, that's, that's a big phrase. What does that even mean? Again, it just means to be hospitable. In a way that, hey, this, like Jesus purchased this person with his blood. That's how serious he took this person. That's how serious we ought to take that person and welcome them into the body as well. Okay, so that's the kind of seriousness that's behind this in a way that's worthy of the saint because she's a saint. She's sanctified. She's set apart by the blood of Christ. And he says, help her in whatever way that she needs. She'll have a list. She'll have stuff that she wants you to do. And when she gets there, do those things for her. And this is kind of like, I guess, practically, like if a missionary comes home, maybe there's a list of things that we can do for them to bless them to take care of their needs, whatever they might be. Uh, one of my close friends, um, his name is Charles, and he's a missionary over in uh, Thailand, originally from Ireland. And he's been there 25 years, and he's just like, I don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. Um, I'm going to be retiring in five years, and this isn't my home. Thailand's not my home. This is just a place of ministry. And someone called him up and said, hey, I just bought you some land in Ireland and a home. Whenever you need to retire, it's all yours. And he's just like, oh my gosh, like completely taken care of. That's like a patron. Um, another example of a patron would be like a couple of years ago, I did go to Thailand over there and hung out with uh, Charles over in Grace Ministries. And, but to get there, it costs a lot of money. And so we send out these letters just like we're having our students do here in the church. And you want to get support. And I thought I was going to be getting like, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 bucks from each person. But one person cut a check for the entire thing. And I was just like, you're a patron. Like you are giving financially all, a lot of money that you have to support me. And it was a woman as well. So I thought that was awesome. They get it. They have money and they want to serve in that way. And that's the kind of person Phoebe is. But also she has needs. So because she's done all those things for you, in return, help her now is what Paul's saying. Okay. So now as we move forward, as we do the breakdown of the uh, next section here, um, it's going to go by a little bit quicker, um, primarily because we don't know too much about the, the people in the following list. But to break it down for you guys, and I find this helpful myself, verses 3 through 7 moving forward are those who identified with the Pauline mission. Think Paul's ministry, think the book of Acts after Acts chapter 10 when Paul was, Saul turned into Paul and then he had his ministry. These are people that he met along the way there. Second thing, verses um, 8 through 15, just other friends and acquaintances. Maybe Paul bumped into them and he kind of said, oh yeah, you're from Rome, okay. Um, Now what's important about this is Paul had already shared the gospel with these people in verses 3 through 15. And so really, when they went back to Rome, they had already been living out Romans 1 through 15. They already knew Paul's theology, which is cool to think about. And then Paul is sending a letter then to communicate and say, okay, you guys did the spade work, you guys put the shovel into the ground, and now I want to write a letter to bless you guys. So that's what's going on here. Just friends, acquaintances, people that identified with him on his missionary trips. And then there's a, a call for mutual greetings and greetings from church in, in the East. 
All right, and that's verse 16. But let's begin to uh, dissect some of these verses together. Um, one thing that you notice over the course of the verses here, um, this word greet is used quite a bit. And it goes beyond just what you might think when you hear that English word. Um, as it says here, greetings are not merely secular hellos, but are rooted in the new life in Christ. That's key here. This community recognized that the stuff Paul was talking about in Romans 1 through 15 had happened in a real, honest way in the lives of the people listed here in Romans 16. And because that's true, Paul says, don't just do a high-bye kind of thing, honestly, and this, this really stuck me in the heart, which I'm so good at. Like, I really think about that, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm so, like, introverted, and this challenges me, like, I just want to say hi and just be done with the conversation and just move on, right? I don't know if you're like me in that, but there are some people like that, and I'm, I'm one of those. It's just like a secular hello, and that's it. It's like I have to work on, like I said just a second ago, I have to work on recognizing that Christ purchased you with his blood. He, he takes it that serious. And so I want to move, and I hope our community can move beyond simply saying these high-bye things, you know? And, and this really pricked me at the heart this week, um, and hopefully it will mature me as I continue to think about that. Don't want to just be someone that says hi. So then it says, greet uh, Prisca, or maybe some of your translations say Priscilla and Aquila, fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for Paul's life, like they, they risk their own neck. Okay, that's what it says. Who risk their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Now, this is an interesting word. Um, it, it's eucharisteo in the Greek, and that just kind of sounds like the Eucharist, which also maybe for some of us more traditionally minded people is a word that we use for the a communion table. So obviously Paul isn't really thinking about communion right now, but that word did have that connotation. So if you heard that word, you give thanks, usually your Christian mind starts thinking about what ultimately do we give thanks for? All right, so that's what we get to do at the end of the service today. But he's saying, hey, I give thanks to these guys because they risked their neck for me. Now, our context might not be as severe as their, their context back in the first century where there was a lot of martyrs for the church and maybe they, I mean, they really did put their neck on the line for, their, for the brothers and sisters in Christ when they needed it. Um, but maybe it, it goes something more like this. Like I remember working back at Gustav's and having conversations with the bartenders who are atheist agnostic. And it was really fun. Like had wonderful time of community and growth and, and developing friendships. Um, but there were times where I was sharing my faith with someone at Gustav's. But then like another Christian steps up at just the right time and says, you know, I also believe in that stuff too. What are they doing? They're, they're risking their own neck, so to speak. Because, yeah, we may not be physically put to death, but what atheists often say about us is, you Christians are just committing intellectual suicide, right? You guys are just a knuckle-draggers, and you can't move beyond, like, the prehistoric man. And that's what I often heard at Gustav's from my atheist and agnostic friends. And they were friends. Like, well, I knew them for years, and they're great people. But it was always wonderful when there was someone who could come to my side and say, man, I follow Jesus, too. And that was always a cool experience. So I kind of, if I was taking notes like I, I encourage you guys to do in, in terms of who is that person, I can list a handful of people that I worked with at Gustav's during that time in my life. Then he moves on in verse 5. 
he says, greet also the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila, they were, they were so good at being mobile and moving around, but everywhere they go, usually in the, in the scriptures, it talks about how they have this church set up in their home. And that they were on mission as a husband and wife to draw people into the fold of God. And what's also interesting and unique about this couple is that her name is usually mentioned first, which may not really mean anything to our modern minds, but back in the day, to mention her name first was actually pretty significant. So here Paul is starting with Phoebe, a woman, elevating women in that society. And here he is again, Priscilla and Aquila, elevating women in that society. People were drawn to that because they really felt the liberation that was happening with women during that time. They were drawn to that kind of stuff. So he says, greet also the church in their house. How beautiful it is that wherever they went, they would just set up camp. They would just do the stuff that they knew that they had to do because they were on mission, just like Paul. Now, now house church, think about this. Um, Is your home a place where church happens? Okay, can your home be a place where church happens? And I I love seeing this kind of out in in the hallway there. And it hits you every time when you go out. You just see this billboard where all, all these little pe- magnet pieces everywhere. My kids thought that they were toys and just started moving them around. And one of the pastors was like, no, you can't do that. I was like, sorry about that. Um, and so, but that's kind of what's going on here. There's all these little house churches in Westland. There's house churches over in Oregon City. There's house churches in Milwaukee. It's kind of just like spreading out. That's what Paul envisions happening with the gospel. And so can your house be a place where church happens? What does it look like um, to get along with other churches? Because here you have in Rome, he's going to use this phrase church or house church quite a bit. How can you have like, here's Rome and and a bunch of different churches in that same area. That sounds kind of like what New Life wants to do also, right? I mean, you have like this campus over in Wilsonville. You have one here in West Lynn. And, um, you know, keep praying for Taylor because they, they want to do a, another church plant somewhere else. And so, like, the stuff that's happened, and this is what I think is so exciting about this passage, though it's just a list of names. The stuff that I see happening at the end of this wonderful epistle still happening 2,000 years later with faithful followers of Christ like people at New Life. I think that's awesome. So what does it mean to get along simply? If you want to do church at your house, pray for each other. Just pray for each other. Invite people over and just pray for them. Stepping in and leading worship sometimes. Now, this is more of a practical one for me because Taylor had asked, hey, do you want to do worship? I'm like, ah, maybe a little. Let's talk about that. And so um, he threw me on the schedule at least a couple of times. Um, and so that's just, you know, stepping in and, and helping where, where you need help. And it's a hard thing for me to do, but hey, I'm going to try to step out and do it. Another thing could simply be this is more pragmatic, uh, sending financial support uh, or material support. If you know someone's in need, just get out there and, you know, cut a, cut a check and, and send it and whatever that might look like, just do that financial thing. That's a way to bless someone. Phoebe definitely did a good job at that. So those are a few ways that we can, like, think about getting along there. And I love this. It continues. So greet my beloved Epinatus. Again, like, could you imagine having your kid's name Epinatus? I mean, that, that, that one sounds kind of epic, actually. If I had it over to do again, Levi, you might have been an Epinatus. So who was the first convert? So think about, again, if you're writing names down, who might, who might you could write, a name you could write down and say, yeah, I was, I was part of that person's conversion story. Okay, and, and maybe there's an Epinatus in your life. 
where you had the privilege, and what a privilege it is, to sit down and pray with someone. And again, to be part of the process of praying with them and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into that person's life and change their heart. It's a beautiful experience to be able to say, man, I was, I was part of that prayer. Maybe that was a kid. Maybe that was a friend at work. Maybe that you're going off to college and it could be someone who you, you dormed with. Gosh, I remember uh, uh, being in college and uh, for some reason I just made, the, made buddies with these guys from Eastern Oregon. One of them was a Christian, one really wasn't. But they were huge guys. I don't know what they feed them over there in eastern Oregon. Um, but they were just like ginormous. They were like 6'4", 260 pounds. And, and here I am. I was like as scrawny as I am still today. But like 150 pounds. And I remember they're like, oh, John, we're going we're gonna to work out every single day. We're going we're gonna to get you swole. And I'm just like, all right, good luck. We'll see what you can do. Um, but anyway, like I built friendship with them through time. And then that first year, we were like, hey, we're, we're no longer in the dorm. Let's continue to be buddies. And so we went off and got a house together. And <clears throat> but then I, I still remember I was just in my room one day and uh, listening to worship music. And, and my buddy Jeff just walks in. He's just like, he, he just looks so sad. I was like, what's going on, man? He's just like, I just, I want what you have. And I was like, whoa, like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I see you worshiping, you're reading the scriptures, and you go to church. Like, he just wanted that. So I was, I was able to sit with him and pray, get him a Bible, get him starting to read. It's just beautiful when you're part of that process, whatever, whatever that might look like for you. Um, so I, I bet you anything, Paul would never forget this first convert, Epinatus. And maybe in your mind, there's an Epinatus that you have as well. Let's keep going here. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. She's just a hard worker. We don't know too much else about her other than the point of contrast uh, between the other Marys um, in the scripture. She was a hard worker, a little bit different than the other descriptions that we see of Marys in the Bible. So who do you know that works really hard to communicate and share the gospel? I love it um, when BJ's here. I know BJ's not here, but Evangeline, uh, when we sit up there in the top, she always looks down and she wants to find BJ. Like, BJ would totally be the Mary figure in Evangeline's life because she loves to spend time with teacher BJ. She just loves it. She loves to go to church. Like, her first word out of church, uh, her mouth this morning was, church, are we going to church? Like, that's how she's just rolling out of bed. It was really cool. She just wants to spend time with BJ. She loves her. Um, and so she loves finding her when, when uh, she's up there. It's awesome. And so who do you know that has worked really hard, and we have some wonderful ministry leaders working week after week after week with our kids. And we could definitely write a lot of their names down and pray for them, maybe send them a thank you card and really thank them and bless them for the work that they do. Moving forward here. Greet Andronicus and Junia, uh, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. So another husband and wife team. Like it's amazing how, how many women are included on this list at the end of Paul's uh, epistle here. So he says, greet them. They're part of my family, he says. I'm a Jew, they're a Jew. And they also spent some time with me in prison. That's how sold out this couple is. So remember to say hi to them for me. Beyond a secular hi, get in there and be hospitable. Take care of each other at this church in Rome. Man, they're fellow prisoners. I wonder what kind of stories they had. Oh, man, I remember that one time I was hanging out with Paul. We were on mission, and the Jews didn't really like what we were doing. They told the authorities, and they threw us in prison. But Paul encouraged us to pray. I mean, I don't know what those stories look like. I could just imagine after reading the book of Acts. can't wait to go talk to Andronicus and Junia in heaven. That's going to be awesome. Tell me some of those stories, right? 
They are well known uh, to the apostles. It's too much to go into a Sunday morning, but there's a conversation here in the backdrop. Are they apostles or are they not? Uh, I'll leave you to decide that. But Paul has already mentioned that Phoebe is a deacon or a ministry leader. And here he's saying, man, they are uh, they could possibly be apostles as well, depending on the translation that you look at. Which, again, it elevates women. Once again, if, they, if she truly was an apostle, it elevates her to this position that even she can go out and tell people about Jesus, which does remind me of the gospel. It wasn't the men who went out and shared the gospel when Jesus told them to do that. They were all shut up in a room. Right, But it was the women who went to the tomb and saw, whoa, what happened here? And it was the angel that says, you go and tell the men. Right? They were like some apostles. They were sent out by an angel to go share the gospel. So it's elevating the story uh, for women here with the gospel. Great connections. So they're apostles. And they were, and Paul's also recognizing, they were Christians before me, which Paul talks about elsewhere in some of his letters as well. And that's, that's really important to him. So again, think about this. Who have you been in prison with? Maybe it's not a literal prison. Maybe it is. Um, and so think about who you might have shared a cell with. So again, I always go back to my days at Gustav's. Um, there were some Christians there that I was just able to really connect with. And we did some wonderful ministry. And being a server, sometimes it did feel like a prison, especially at a German restaurant. Um, but like we grew together. We were, we were faithful to pray with each other. Before shifts, we were faithful to have Bible studies with each other once a week. Like, that's what that looked like. And we were in prison together. We always called it prison at Gustav's. But anyway, um, back harking on my griping days. Um, so, greet Andronicus and Junia. Um, they're just well known. I thought it was going to move forward. Pardon me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachus. Again, these are just casual references to people that Paul was acquainted with. Probably don't know too much about them, um, but they're there. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, this one might be a bit more interesting. And if you want to put a little star next to this one, again, way too much to get there. There's, there's a lot of uh, papers written on this. But this person could have had a connection to uh, Herod the Great. Um, and, and so you see also how the influence of the gospel had penetrated even the leadership in Rome. That, that's powerful that the gospel has that uh, capability. All right, so greet the family of Aristobulus. Um, this guy here, Apelles, uh, just real quick before we move forward, it just means approved. And so if you're taking note, um, approved simply means mature. And so think about those people who are mature followers of Christ in your life that have really sat down and led you to the Lord, whether that be through scripture or prayer or when you've gone through something challenging in your life and you're like, I just don't know what to do with this. It's usually the older ones that are like, I've walked that road. I know what that looks like. And let me help you. Okay, so that's, that's kind of an appellees here. So who is someone in your life that's mature um, write, write that name down. Okay, I already said that guy. Okay, so greet my kinsman, Herodian. Again, like someone who is part of the family, a Jewish person. Um, and this person could have also worked for Rome. There's a lot of background there just by that name alone. Uh, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. All right, so you can see how far-reaching the gospel is uh, uh, so far. Jews and Gentiles, and man, the Gentiles are very diverse in uh, how they were 
um, living in, in Rome and some of them serving Herod. Then they hear the gospel and then it changes their life. And now they're part of the church at Rome. Paul's like, greet those guys. And it also makes me think, like, if Paul is calling this guy a family member, you know, sometimes we have family members that are just like, oh, I can't believe that the person's my family. Somehow there's a connection where Paul could have been in the same family as even Herod, which is interesting to think about because he was a half-Jew. And so there are some connections there that some commentators have made about, look at Paul's family. Like, you think you have it bad? <laughs> like, he had Herod in his family. That's, that's pretty crazy. Verse 16, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Uh, again, some more women here. We don't know too much about them. One of their names means dainty. Um, greet the beloved Persis. It's like, what do you do with that, right? I mean, that point doesn't really preach. Um, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Again, just recognizing people who have worked hard. It's a group of ladies here. So again, what women do you see working hard for the Lord? I see my wife working hard for the Lord every week. Love you, Haley. Um, Greet Rufus. This one's really interesting here. Uh, Chosen in the Lord. But you ask the question, like, aren't we all chosen in the Lord? Like, so what's going on here? Paul could simply be saying, okay, I'm running out of things to say. Some commentators actually said, and he's just like, I've got to come up with a phrase, so here you're chosen. I think it might be more than that. Um, we also know about this guy Rufus that he's mentioned somewhere else in uh, another gospel. So it says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Now, if this is true, and I think it might be, Um, A lot of commentators suggest that it is. That this Rufus that Paul mentioned here in Rome is the same Rufus whose dad carried the cross of Christ. That's a pretty cool connection there. And that connection helps us understand, okay, so Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, obviously, most likely from Rome, being influenced by Peter, who was also spending time with him there in Rome. And so Mark probably knew of this Rufus, obviously, and Paul knew of this Rufus. Rufus is nowhere else mentioned in the first century, so it's most likely the same person. Could you imagine some of the messages that Rufus would give at the church in Rome? It was my dad that took the cross for Christ and put it on his shoulders. He probably could preach that one sermon like, you you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. That probably was like cemented in his mind. Because his dad actually did that. That's pretty cool there. And that's what most likely chosen uh, means in, this, in that passage. Then he says, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes. Um, all they need are some burgers and fries because you have five guys right there. But really what's going on is they're just a community, a group of guys living together on mission together, serving each other and serving the church in Rome. They're just a bunch of brothers living together, all right, on mission for Christ. Greet Philologus, what a name, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Again, just acquaintances, people that we may not know that much about. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And this is, uh, we're, we're almost done here. Um, But suffice it to say, a holy kiss back in the day was just a way that you could show intimacy. That's how the culture existed, right? I'm probably not going to say greet each other with a holy kiss here. That probably wouldn't make sense in our context. 
I'm assuming, and um, I always would have to tell the high schoolers, yeah, that it's not actually meaning kissing each other in that sense. Um, and so all the churches of Christ greet you. So he's, he's basically saying, what way can you show love and affection toward each other that might be appropriate for your culture in which you live? So maybe that's something you guys can talk about at Life Group. I remember one of my buddies, his name's Simon Darcy, and he's from India. He's an older guy, and we were in seminary together. And we would often go on prayer walks, and he would get so close, just up close and personal. And then one day on a prayer walk, he just grabbed my hand like this, and I was like, what is this man doing? And he's just like, this is how I show affection. I feel close to you, and I just want to pray with you. I was like, wow, that's really sweet. But I probably am not going to come grab your hand. Like, Josh will probably hit me if I grabbed his hand like that. Probably not going to work in our culture setting here. So be mindful of the culture in which you live, and, but also be mindful that we ought to show affection to each other and, and, uh, and recognize that level of intimacy that we have with each other. All the churches of Christ greet you. What a beautiful way. Um, to end that part. Now, here's a challenge for, for all of us. I think the world gets it that community is important. I think the world craves and desires community just like every single one of us does. We all know what that looks like and feels like. And so I was looking online and, and doing some research about what you know, psychologists have to say about this and I found some interesting um, connections here. Importance of a healthy community. It says, one of the most important principles for happy and fulfilling relationships is a sense of community. If you want to be someone that's thriving, if you want to be someone that enjoys life to the full, there has to be this part of your life, a big part of it, that is community. And that's why coming to church on Sundays or finding a life group and going deeper, sharing a meal with someone, finding out, hey, what do I really need to pray for you about? Um, that's, that's community there, fulfilling relationships. But again, this is what the world is, is saying that we need. I think we can provide that. The first uh, tasks for creating and maintaining a satisfying relationship are commitment, cooperation, communication. The final crucial element of the four C's of lifelong love is community. And I think that's what the church has to offer the world. This last point just blew my mind that this is what a, a secular psychologist, uh, psychiatrist said. In and through community lies the salvation of the world. That blows my mind right there, you guys. Because what is it that we have to offer the world? Romans 1 through 15. But the effects of that good theology is producing this wonderful church that loves and serves and cares for each other. That's what's ultimately going to save the world through the work of Christ. It's beautiful. There are things that disrupt that. We've talked about that already months ago when we were in Romans chapter 1. But to just bookend these points, the thing that's going to disrupt our community, not just the community back then in Rome, would be that list there of the sins that Paul says, hey, we've all fallen short in all of these ways. We've all messed up. And that's the beautiful thing that actually ties us together, our recognition of the gospel that Paul has laid out in the book of Romans. This is what brings us together. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know I have sinned. And I know Christ died for me, a sinner. I know the wages of sin is death. But if I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. 
I'll be invited into this community. I can do life with people in this community. And when those things that cause disruptions come up, I can remind myself of the truth instead and start to serve people. And I think one of the most beautiful things to recognize, to to close out here, is the early church had a reputation for being servants. That's what Phoebe was. She was a servant. People caught wind that, hey, this place, this church is a place where people serve each other. And in the exact same way that Christ has welcomed us, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, I pray that we can become an even more welcoming community with each other, to grow deep, to really grow deep with each other in a community of love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the challenges, the encouragements, the exhortations that we find in a list of names. How powerful it is that the gospel has influenced people back in Rome, flipping their world upside down, changing their lives, causing Jews and Gentiles and people who worked for Herod and slaves and freedmen, all of them to come together and do life with each other as a community. I pray that our church here, New Life, would be marked by this same gospel, that we might do community with each other, love each other, serve each other, care for each other. And I know we're doing such a good job, and I I pray that we would do that even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.